Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be looking back on all the weekend Six Nations action and then ahead to a massive round five as France chase a Grand Slam and Ireland look to put the pressure on in case they slip up against England. And we'll be having a chat with France defence coach Sean Edwards. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. How are you feeling, lads? Fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to start with the negative, but I'm the same as you, Jim. Absolutely shattered. It's the truth. Yeah, just be honest. Tell Dublin that. Tell Belfast that. Tell dinner in Oxford that on Friday night. Tell Twickenham all day that Saturday and then BT Sports Sunday. I mean, I was just happy not to drink on Sunday, I'll be honest. I dread to think how many Guinness I've slammed down my neck over the last five days. And it's just got another quiet week coming up this week, to be honest. I, I can answer your question, though. I'm going to say 133, approximately. <laughs> and with that means you probably had three bottles of blackcurrant with that as well. So you, can yeah. you imagine the amount of sugar and calories yeah. you consumed? Well, I can. I went for a spin class this morning and then I finished it. My mate in the spin class said to me, I don't think one spin class is going to get rid of all that Guinness goody. I was like, no, you're fucking dead right, it's not. So, yeah, it was a huge few days. And this week's a quiet week as well. So, yeah, obviously Manchester Tuesday, Liverpool Wednesday, Cheltenham races Thursday. It never stops. Tell the liver that. But what I have to say is, how good was Dublin and Belfast? I thought you were going to paper over the cracks, which are actually ginormous, Andrew. We have to go back. We've got to go way back. We've got to peel back. The masses were asking for that, weren't they? They wanted it. They were desperate for it. And my goodness me, we gave it to them. Wednesday in Dublin, you've got loose. And then you've got, oh my loose, is all I'm saying. Genuinely, I went to bed on Wednesday night and I felt like I'd been tasered. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Yeah, I mean, it started off, and we love going to Dublin without a shadow of a doubt. Jim's Scottish, I'm English. Going to Ireland, I'm there with me fucking bottle of blackcurrant and McGuinness, offending people like you wouldn't believe, because in Dublin you're not supposed to put blackcurrant in your Guinness. But we've walked into D2, and I've looked into the room and it's absolutely fucking rammed. And you're getting the buzz, you're getting the butterflies are going. And then we go around the back and we get announced on stage. I've never had a bigger cheer in all my life, Jim. <laughs> like I felt very tingly. There was a, a rush of blood to a certain area. I'm like, what a legend. And normally, you know, I'm, I play a bit of pantomime villain, don't I? But expecting a few jeers, a few boos or whatever. The Irish, no, 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 no. Leading with Harry Potter at the front of the, the live show, he was sat there 
loving life, mate. It was an unbelievable night. I'm very, very grateful, very, very humbled, weren't we, Jim? Yeah, I said it earlier. I'm English, Jim's Scottish. We've got absolutely no affiliation to Irish rugby. Neither of us have ever played there. Neither of us have ever played for any of the, the provinces yet. We were treated unbelievably well, and we're very grateful for all the sport we've got over in Dublin and Belfast. You say that. In Belfast, there weren't many cheers for you, Andrew. Let's be honest. <laughs> there was a few. There was a few. There was a few. It felt a little bit different. It felt a little bit different in Belfast. They, I'm one of their sons. Well, my sister's one of their daughters. That's why, because she was born in Antrim, so in Northern Ireland. So, I mean, you didn't mention that throughout the whole show. Did I mention it? Yeah, basically, you claim to be Irish. You said about what Leinster, you said, are oh, we. And then someone just corrected you and said, hey, we're in Northern Ireland. We don't like Leinster. You're like, yeah, yeah, sorry, I'm Ulster, I'm Ulster, I'm Ulster, like... <laughs> Hashtag always, just stand up, just stand up for us. We did get thrown off slightly. I'm in between dissecting my thoughts on Scotland, Italy with a dirty brush. It was a dirty brush, slimy brush. And then Ugh. the myth turned up on stage. I have never seen you shit yourself live as much as you did on Thursday night in Belfast. Jim's chatting away and out of the corner of my eye, I see... It's a giant. Basically, she's bigger than you, Jim. She walked through, and I'm like, who the fucking hell is that absolute giant with a big blonde wig on, a skirt that was hardly there, high heels like you wouldn't believe, and Jim just started trembling. He started crumbling. He's like, hello. I want the knife, please. <laughs> I've never seen you stunned. You were lost for words. I was lost for words until until Mrs. Von Tramp bent over in front of the crowd and asked everyone, what have I had for dinner? And I didn't realise it was a rhetorical question. <laughs> so I just said a crumpet and a lettuce. And then after that, I felt so much more comfortable that I answered the question that shouldn't have been answered. But I tell you what, and I'll say it again, incredible shape. Andrew, put me and you to absolute shame. The legs, the arms. The arse. <laughs> it put us all to shame. Now, considering she's eating crumpets and lettuces, you're thinking, how have you got a shape like that? So Maybe a hot dog as well. Could you see a hot dog or not? I couldn't see a hot dog, no. Okay. Just a crumpet and then lettuce at the end. So <laughs> that was it. But my goodness me. Actually, I think I did see a hot dog. I don't know. But all I'm saying is a couple of days to remember. And when you're in it, the excitement's there, and then you feel like you've been tasered, and then you feel like you've been thrown sideways, then you get on a plane, then I'm in London, then I'm in Leicester, then I'm in Cov, then I'm in Birmingham, then I'm back home. It takes a couple of days to reflect, and you can see by the smile. I loved it, lads. Absolutely yeah. loved it. And like you said, Andrew, we go again! Liverpool and Manchester, not in that order. Is it in that order? I can't work out what's what, what day's where. Manchester tomorrow, Liverpool Wednesday. And if you fancy Cheltenham Thursday, let's go. I don't. I'll be honest. <laughs> Chris Ashton coming along as well. There's still a few tickets left for each show as well. So if you want to come along and see that and a couple, couple more nights to remember with the lads, there's still a couple of tickets available for both shows on eventbrite.co.uk. Well, Goody, after all that as well, like, you had to back it up. And Did you have a few at Twickenham? Again, had more than a few. Yeah, listen, it was a, the atmosphere was unbelievable. We'll get into the game in a bit. But um, yeah, it was all good pre-match. And then... Um, 82 seconds in, it all went a, a little bit wrong for England. But we'll get on to the, the game in a bit. But more importantly, I spent a little bit of time looking at a guy with a grey shirt on with his top button done up. The old air tie was out, wasn't it, Jim? Your trousers weren't long enough for your legs. But it, hey, you look good. There was a few questions going on whether or not it was the right thing to do. And then I looked at the other gentleman in the room, which was Sir Ian McGeek, and I wasn't too sure whether I was going to take fashion advice from Geech. Although, 
He did look good. I mean, in terms of what I think is good. Black suit, white shirt, love it. And how are the piles? I'll be honest, five days travelling, not good. <laughs> five days on the Andy Goo diet, not good. So you throw that all into the mix and you can imagine what's coming out. <laughs> Let, let's talk some ruggers then. Goody, tell us about the red card. I mean... A lot of debate about whether we should have orange cards and whatnot, but uh, England still made a game of it, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, it's a red card every single day of the week, and the fans at Twickenham were booing, and people were saying on social media, it's ruined the game and all this stuff. Players have got to learn, right? And it probably starts off with sort of comment from Eddie Jones last week that says they're going to show Ireland the physicality that they've never seen before in their lives. You're just like, oh, all right, mate, come on. Does that get in their heads a little bit? Charlie Ewells sees James Ryan. James Ryan leaves the ball back for Sexton and Charlie Ewells follows and people are like, oh, it's accidental. If you're running upright and you're half a yard away from a tackle, it's your own fault. There's no question about it. It's a red card. England did show a lot of fight. We can get into that around, you know, was it Ireland you know, underperforming? Was it England? You know, you, you could see how much the crowd, being there, the, the atmosphere was electric. England didn't perform particularly well ball in hand at times, but when you're down to 14 minutes, difficult. Fundamentals of the game, the scrum was strong, the driving line-out was strong. You know, we played a kicking game that obviously was sort of risk-averse around down to 14 men trying to put pressure on Ireland. Ireland, you know, if that try where friend of the show, Kayla Miel Doris, bounces off Harry Randall, and if that try's given, you'd fear for England and it could have been a 30-40 point drubbing. But the crowd got behind them, the scrum was dominating in a roundabout way. You know, you, you chat about the orange card and... Uh, I kind of sometimes I think, yeah, you should have an orange card. And then when Nigel Owen says, I don't agree with the orange card because why should a team not get rewarded but not get punished enough for poor tackle technique when we're trying to get this out of the game completely and eradicate or minimise dangers around head contact? So the question around the orange card is sometimes I'm yes, sometimes I'm no. And if Nigel Owen says no, it's a no. All I'm thinking looking at that, if you're giving Duane van der Merwe a two-week ban for a handoff, Charlie Yours is getting six to eight weeks for that. And I say that not because I want to see him get banned for six to eight weeks. I'm talking degree of danger. I'm talking everything in the game in which we're all hoping gets rid of in terms of head-on-head contact. For, I, don't, I don't even know how we need to sit here and answer that question, whether or not it was a red card or not. I'm not even going to answer it. I refuse to answer it. Was it? Okay, I will answer it. It is, yeah. It's a red card. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay, okay. Charlie always, what are you doing, mate? Like, what are you doing? I feel for James Ryan. You know, he's had concussion issues. He's not playing this week. He wears the same scrum cap as Kelly Miol Doris, which, not proven, guys, not proven to restrict concussion, but a lot of lads are now wearing the same head guards because guys like Kalen Doris believe they're good in terms of looking after the head. There's one loser here, and it's James Ryan. That's it. Yes, England lost, and was the game worse for it? I actually don't think it was. I think it, it was better for it. I think England, that whole emotional spin, the atmosphere at Twickenham, the booing, and I know, Andrew, you can maybe talk about the booing, but that whole hysteria around it made it more of a game, in my opinion. And I'll just go back to the point on Charlie Yours. It's easy, again, I'll say it, to sit here and say... He should have done this, he should have done that. He's the one out there with dust on his face in the arena. And we've all been there. But you just can't tackle like that now, mate. He's not even... like he's, And he's gone in with force. And that's the thing. There's no getting away from it. And I, my point being the Duan van der Merwe thing, I know it's old news. But if you're given a red card for that and two weeks for that, then he should be getting a long ban for that because it's reckless. 
but I, I, I really enjoyed the game and I really enjoyed the way that England tried to fight back. I enjoyed their scrum coming back into it and the emotion that that lifted. I enjoyed seeing the vulnerabilities around Ireland and how it should have been easier for them to play England because England were down to 14 men and it wasn't. And it made it a real test match because it could have been, like you said, if, if Kayleigh Miel Doris would have scored that, you know, they could have run, run away with it earlier. And they did run away with it at the end. They got the bonus point. But I think all the games this weekend, with the game on Friday night, the Scotland game, Italy game was good. But the two big games was what you want to see in Six Nations matches. Close, physical, bit of drama, and a bit of Guinness. You talked about this scrum briefly there. It's expand on that a little bit because how was England so dominant in that area after they lost Yules? Jack Noll. There you go. Hybrid. Hybrid players. Yeah, hybrid players. No, I, th- I think a lot of it comes down to how you're interpreting everything via the referee. Listen, there's loads of stuff come out. There's pictures come out from spider cam above the scrum showing the angle that Carl Sinclair was going in at in terms of Kean Healy. You know, Nigel Owens has come out on social media and said, look, a couple of penalties to England were definitely penalties, but Ireland should have had a couple of penalties. And it's easy retrospectively to go through them and look at them. Eddie Jones came out after the game and said he, he was disappointed. He wasn't, they weren't given the opportunity to attack off advantage and we weren't given the dominance. Basically, he was saying, even though Eddie says he never talks about referees, saying that they should have had a yellow card. And French referees, and I think Lawrence said it on comms, French referees, although England weren't dominant pushing the scrum back five or six metres, it looked like they had dominance. There was a bit of the scrum whipping round and all this stuff, but it always seemed in the average person's eye and in Matthew Reynolds' eyes that England had the dominance there. And he did pull them up once, I think, for, for the angle or spoke to Ellis Genge about the angle that he was going in at. But how did they dominate? I've obviously found a way of, of targeting. Sheehan, and I think, in the front row is a lot lighter weight compared to Kelleher. Andrew Porter, that shows the value of Andrew Porter. And we said it last week, didn't we? With him being out, it's a big loss. Kian Healy obviously has got a boatload of caps, but they struggled, didn't they, at scrum time? Obviously, Ty Furlong, an absolute legend of the game, could not. And he was frustrated because he was complaining about the angle. He was complaining about them spinning round. But all you can do is either try and fix it yourself on the field or adapt to what the referee is saying. And he was giving England, you know, it's very difficult. Once a French referee gets it in their mind that one team is dominant, that's the way he generally continues, you know, in the path throughout the game, giving that side, you know, the penalties and the free kicks. And it's interesting. You see the pictures come out, Spider Cam and, and Nigel Owens, what he said. That's all retrospectively after the game when you've got more time to look at things. And that's perhaps why when Eddie Jones was frustrated that Matthew Reynell didn't give, you know, a yellow card or complete advantage to England because, or a yellow card to Ireland because. The scrums, if you look at them, it wasn't like, you know, you see scrums that are marched down the field five or six metres and then the whole pack is just spat out. It was going round in circles at times, wasn't it? But it did seem like England were dominant. What did you make of Genja's performance? Because he was a big part of that, wasn't he? I thought best game I've seen Genja have. Hair was on point. Whatever the line was in the eyebrow and the side <laughs> of the head, he can pull it off, can't he? Let's be honest. I thought it was his best game. I thought Jamie George was fantastic. Marutoji. Best game I've seen him have. I said that, I think, in the last game. Considering he was ill, the effect that he had on that game, him and Genge, I thought were absolutely... They were world-class against Ireland. And I say world-class because Ireland are a world-class outfit and they were down to 14 men. And the effect that they had 
that cements Genji's place now, in my opinion, in the England team, as, as Lou said. The other thing on that, Jim, you talk about Marrow. When Courtney Laws obviously shifts to second row, he's a second row, right? That's his best position. Would you agree you're a second row? So I'd agree he's a second row. In terms of size and line-out, yes. So I think, you know, maybe that was a, a mass advantage because he is so good. I'm listen, bend over and push, right? That's what we used to say to you, second rows. But there's a clear difference, isn't there, when you've got a decent scrummage in second row like your good self, Jim, compared to perhaps someone that's not given as much? <laughs> Andrew, I like your hair. Yeah, very true. Yeah, very true. But that would have added to it as well. Being on the flank and Jack Noel ain't a Johnny May. He ain't a chicken. He's a bull of a man. Eddie Jones mentioned this hybrid player for Jack Noel. We all took the piss out of it and we saw it. Hey, who's laughing now, mate? Who's laughing? And I think Jack Noel, again, another player I thought was fantastic on the day. But yeah, from a forwards perspective, you could have picked any of them out. But I think the standouts in that pack were Genji, Marrow, or Marrow, Genji in that order. Jamie George, and then, you know, I thought Freddie Stewart was was outstanding as well. It was a big finish from Ireland, but what did you make of their performance overall, considering they were playing against 14 men? Do you think they took advantage of that like they should have? Inaccurate. That was it when you look at it. They always looked comfortable-ish. I know England came back in to level it, and there was a worry, but you could feel if any team was going to score through how we've seen both teams play in the Six Nations, Ireland being off nine forward runners, dominant around the collisions, it was going to be Ireland. It was a matter of time, it did feel like that, and, and the, the tide was turning 60, 70 minutes into the game, and it did turn, but I think that that was it really. It was just, we've all been in games before when the opposition go down to 14 men, and you feel like you need to score off everything, or you, you're going to th- throw offloads out because you can, because there's a, there's 14 players on the opposition. That's what Ireland were doing, weren't they? They were throwing offloads. Furlong was throwing a few. Caelan Miol Doris threw one as well that didn't stick. Until they started going through the phases and, and being a bit more dominant around the breakdown, one-off runners and getting over the game line, some of the clear-outs. I know, again, they've done the rounds on Twitter because they're illegal, some of them. Whatever. The physicality that they were hitting some of the breakdowns at was, it was frightening. That is Ireland. We've yeah. seen them against England before. We've seen them against the All Blacks, the way that they clear out. Again, we go back to Leinster. You look at the way that Leinster clear out sometimes. Sometimes when it's that quick, that physical, that aggressive, and you've got a French referee, you just play on. But that was when the tide was turning. And I think from an Ireland perspective, poor Scotland, I hope not. But from an Ireland perspective, it kind of resets them going into this week and probably going into next year's World Cup that they've got to be on it. And we've seen New Zealand as well. I commentated on them in the autumn. I don't know if I mentioned that for Amazon. They were the same when they played against Italy. They were rattled and their accuracy dropped off. And when that happens, without stating the obvious, it's what you saw with Ireland at the weekend. An unbelievable team, but like all of us, human. Do you know what the crazy thing is now? There's more positivity coming out from people around how England performed than how Ireland performed. Yeah, it's Ireland's biggest ever victory at Twickenham. They scored four tries, we scored none. It did take to sort of the last 10 minutes to really pull away and obviously Bielham's try and then Conan's try at the end to pull it away completely. But it's weird, isn't it? Ireland have won that at Twickenham, the biggest ever victory, yet there seems to be more positivity about England's backbone and you know their fight against all odds and the adversity of getting a red card. Bottom line is, it's still four tries to nil. Ireland, like Jim said, inaccurate. When you're trying to offload and silly offloads at times about five minutes from the line, against a team, and, and Jim, amazing analytical answer there, James. When you're playing against a team with 14 men, 
you think can try and score a heavy phase, the words of Jim Hamilton. And that's what Ireland did. Had they have just had that little bit more patience, they'd have won that by another 15 points, I reckon. So, But fair play to England. You know, adversity, the crowd were great. The red card was obviously a red card. They, they were celebrating proper hard, weren't they, the England players? They get a scrum panel. And that's what I'm looking at it going from an outside perspective when you see Jamie George and Ellis Genge and giving it the big, massive cheers and marrow we still got our biggest ever defeat by Ireland at Twickenham. So the funny one was Bealham when he scored and he's like, oh yeah, and slams the ball down. Because you could see the Irish were rattled, but you know they had comfortably enough to win that game. I know there was the red card, but was there a moment of the match for any of you guys? Yeah, Jarvo 69 getting absolutely <laughs> blitzed at the beginning. What idiots brought him on a podcast and gave him a platform, the old Jarvo 6969. Absolutely banjo. I'll tell you what, you ain't doing that again. That guy who tackled him was definitely Scottish. That's all I'm thinking. Poor Jarvo 69. He ain't going to be in the 69 position for a long time because I reckon he's been winded and probably broke a couple of ribs as well. Before we move on to Friday night in Cardiff, just on that red card, do you think it's potentially saved... Eddie from a whole lot more criticism and potentially his job if they finished fifth for a second year running. There you go, Andy Rowe. That last line. Me and Goody back and forth. Wooden Spoon decider. Scotland, Italy. Scotland, going to finish sixth, going to finish fifth. Well, maybe, just maybe, again, England might finish fifth. Again, you've got to, without taking their pesh, you've got to start asking questions. And Eddie Jones has come out in the media and it's because he's Australian that people are asking questions. No. People are going to ask questions because England, out of all the teams, have the best players to choose from. They've got the most budget. Let's just say they have. I don't know if they have, but let's just say they have. They've got the most budget. They've got the best pool of players. They've got unlimited resources. And they finished fifth last year, and they're looking at finishing fifth this year for whatever excuses that is. We can talk about Scotland last year if you want, and the decisions that went against Scotland. I'm happy to go through that while we didn't win a Grand Slam. You know the red cards <laughs> under Ferguson? Win a Grand Slam. Come on. But do you know what I mean? As in the story built up around finishing fifth, poor Italy finishing fifth, and England are looking down the barrel if Scotland can pick up a point and England pick up nothing against France. We're looking down the barrel uh, effectively because you can't put Italy into the mix. England winning the wooden spoon again. Or you get hosed by Ireland and you've won the wooden spoon again because Wales should get five against Italy, shouldn't they? Don't know. You don't reckon? Well, I always, I, I, how am I saying that again? Look at me. My natural thing is to say, I don't know about Wales <laughs> yet. They were phenomenal on Friday night. The thing about Eddie Jones, they are a few, if they were going to sack him, they'd have sacked him last year. There's no one with enough rugby IQ at the RFU, no one with enough power above him to hold him to account on anything. So people in the press have been asking him today, I think, around, you know, if England finished fifth again, is that good enough? He's like, no, mate, it's not good enough, but... There's not enough money to sack him at the RFU. We've just come out of the back of a pandemic. We're then 18 months out of the World Cup. Who do you go for, you know, if you're getting rid of him? Do you promote from within? Do you give it to Cockers, Matt Proudfoot and those coaches where you can't? Is there a Rob Baxter? You know, look at Exeter this year. Not going overly well in terms of what they've done. He doesn't want the job. The one person I'd say go and get is, well, there's two people maybe. Do you reckon Gats? You could bring Gats in 18 months out before a World Cup and there'd be a big spike in adrenaline and performance I'd say but then you go back to what the Lions did in the summer and that was pretty abject in terms of how we played Scotty Robertson but there ain't enough money to get him out of his contract with New Zealand 
rugby union for the Crusaders, and then you've got to pay him. So it, Eddie ain't losing his job. Quote me on this. Monday, 14th of March, 5.38, Jim Hamilton says that Sean Edwards will be the next England coach after the World Cup. You should have probably waited until we spoke to him until you did that quote and got a feel for it. Maybe you can ask him at the, in the interview. Well, I'm going to ask him. Yeah, I'll ask him. There you go. See, I might get a bit nervous asking him, but I'll ask him. Uh, Sean, uh, 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 T-Bag. <laughs> Let's have a look at Friday night's game in Cardiff then. Were you guys impressed by Wales? It seemed like they played all the ball. Was it a bit, a bit of a missed opportunity for them though? I told you, didn't I? I don't know what I put him in match point predictable. I did. I put France by 13. I think, idiot. But <laughs> I did say on the podcast last week that the way that France play and the way that Wales can play, I don't know if I said this, in my mind I said it, that you need to kick against France, that your defence has to be strong, you've got to be good at the breakdown. I don't think I said most of them things, but that is why, and my point being, Wales did so well. If any team were going to disrupt France, it's going to be Wales because defensively, around the breakdown, they're strong, they're physical, they take risks. And Dan Bigger, who I thought was, again, I'll say it, it's the Six Nations, world-class. The French, I heard they were ill. I don't know. I don't know if they were. There was talk of them being ill, DuPont being injured in the lead-up. And everyone spoke about it after, who's been involved in winning Grand Slams. It's not all glory on the way to a Grand Slam. You don't win every game comfortably. There's a game in there, or a couple of games in there, where you've got to stuff it out and battle it out. And that's what France did. And they said before, I think... I watched some of the interviews before the game. They knew, and Sean Edwards said, and, and Goody mentioned it last week, that Wales are a champion team. And under the lights in Cardiff on a Friday, scene was set, albeit not a sellout, too expensive, ridiculous. But the scene was set for them to put France off course. And I thought physically, and the kicking game, which I absolutely loved in, in the way the game unfolded, was the... Well, what it's done is it's going to make the game against England so boring because England are just going to kick his balls because they can't score tries either. But <laughs> it's a blueprint of how you, how you have to play against France. You cannot carry ball into that because, you, one, you're going to get blitzed and 1-15, to 15, you're going to get turned over because they've got the ability to do that. And that was a snapshot. And France did that without a line-out. Who would have thought that we've come out of this saying that Wales dominated the line-out against France? But they did. Just reiterate, France didn't play that well, but they did enough to make the Grand Slam decider in Paris awesome. Listen, Wales were great. I really feel sorry for Jonathan Fox-Davis. He got rinsed on the outside for one of the big breaks, I think, that ended up leading to a try. But then that little ball back on the inside, if he catches that, I think it's a try, isn't it? And that probably puts Wales in front. And for such a... A player that's been world-class for years and people are questioning why he wasn't in the team. He's obviously struggled for a few injuries and a bit of form, but geez, when he dropped that ball, the whole stadium was just devastated, weren't they? Because it was a try and that was the game there and then, I think. And it wasn't as if it was he was under too much pressure either. Massive props to Wales and how they prevented France from playing their flair game. I know DuPont did a, a couple of bits here and there. I tell you what who I was impressed with. Mate, Jaminet, the fullback. I ain't ever seen anyone kick a ball as sweetly as that. Actually, Magic Juan Hernandez. Remember Juan Hernandez, the Argentinian fly-off? Follows me on Twitter. Not that's a thing, but he does. Yeah, and me, and me. Jaminet is a small bloke. I've never seen a purer strike in all my life. Like, you see, people can kick the ball a long way. You see, like, Dan Biggers kicking his quality, but... Just watch the way his timing, Jaminet, is effortless in how he kicks the ball. I was watching it drooling going, 
thinking back to how I kicked it and it was just lob it in the air and boot it and get your weight behind it. But he strikes it like a pure footballer. It was amazing to see. And yeah, obviously they win ugly. There was a bit of sickness in the camp and, you know, they weren't at the races completely, were they? And, and firing on all cylinders in terms of their attacking game. But like Jim said, Ireland win the Grand Slam in 2009, beat England at Croke Park. I played in the game. I think Ireland won it 11-10, a real ugly game. But you look back on a Grand Slam, you don't have to win every game by 20, 30 points and, and play beautiful, flary rugby all the time. You have to nut out victories and, you know, that's what they did. Go back to the World Cup in uh, in New Zealand, Andy Rowe, that final is never going to be remembered for a classic, but everyone just remembers New Zealand won the World Cup and that's all that counts. And if France beat England next weekend in, in Paris, then performance against Wales doesn't matter. It's all about the W. Well, we can have a chat now with a man who will have definitely enjoyed that French win in Cardiff. France defence coach Sean Edwards joins us. How are you, mate? How did you do? Okay, thank you. Great to have you on, Sean. Just talk us through the victory on uh, Friday night. It must have been very special for you, being part of that Welsh team for so long and then going back there and getting the victory. I know you're fully entrenched in France, rugby now and all that stuff, but it must have meant us something special as well. Well, I think the special was you know the support I had throughout my years in, in Wales, really. And uh, that's one of the reasons, like, I never went on the pitch after to celebrate. And the last two times we went to Cardiff, we managed to win very close games. And uh, I've never gone on the pitch to celebrate or anything because it's just, I wouldn't want to do that with the Welsh public, you know. I think it's, I've got too much respect for them. As regards the match, it was everything we thought of. We knew it would be a 12-round fight. We had to do a presentation before before the lads about why Wales has been so good for the last 10 years, winning four Six Nations more than any other team. And there's a few reasons. Uh, and the two ones what I want to mention is, one was tactics. They have a great kicking game, good defence tactics, and some real tricky players which nearly caught us out, to be honest, from set piece in particular. And the other one is super fitness. They're, you know, they're always a fit team, Wales. They've got Bob Paul Stridgen as head of SNC there, who... British and Irish Lions, you know, legend. It's always a 12-round fight against them. Once again, it was. The third one was obviously you as well, Sean. Well, the third one was actually the, the drink together. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I suppose I was involved with that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sean, needless to say, you're doing incredibly well in France. Everywhere you go seems to be that way. But we've smiled about it on here. We've laughed about it on here because we've enjoyed it and we respect what you're doing there so much in terms of the language. I don't know if you've managed to see across some of the interaction, if any of your mates on social media, some of the meetings you've been taking in French. And I say that with a wry smile because it's class to see. You look like you're absolutely loving it. Um, it's been very difficult at first to, to move a family over here to a, an environment you've never lived in before, obviously, to, to find a place to live which you like and then deal with builders to to, to, to change the thing, etc. Uh, it was been very challenging. But I remember my mate Paul Stridgen, he's lived in France for like eight, eight, nine years now. He said, yeah, I said, but you look up at the sky in the morning and it's normally blue. <laughs> You can you can actually see the you can see the blue in the sky nearly every day. And what about being in Paris, Sean? Have you managed to hit the Moulin Rouge or anything like that? Is that up your street in terms of culture? <laughs> I've probably been to Paris for about ten minutes, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we know a few clubs. Pink Paradise is one that I know pretty well. So, uh... Uh, okay, I tell you what, it's been a lot since I've been here, mate. To be honest, so you know, there's, everywhere's just been short or whatever, or you know, we've been in a bubble or etc. So I've not really had a chance to. Sample that, but hopefully, if uh, it all goes well on, on uh, Saturday night, I 
I might give it a crack. Let's chat about the, the game, obviously, Friday night. It was tough, but there was a bit of illness in the camp as well. Was it true that DuPont had a bit of an arm injury? Yeah, got injured on the Tuesday, just a, a bang. But we did have a, a quite a bit of sickness in the camp and, and, and COVID as well. Um, so it was a fighting victory away from home against the current champions, you know, team. You know, and, and it was a, a Wales team with Josh Davidi back, Falatau back and, and in great form. And I thought it was magnificent. Dan Bigger was outstanding, I think, his kicking game. And, you know, that that's one of the things in the presentation I, I, had, to, I had to do, which was to say, well, they've been good and, and one is the tactics, you know, very, very tactical, good tactical team. And they nearly caught us out from a couple of set-piece moves that uh, they put on and one was a little chip over the top, etc. So they, they come up with some quite really intelligent, uh, we call them trick plays, and they were, they were pretty unfortunate not to score. And with everything, Sean, in camp last week, and we all watched the game, it was a phenomenal game of rugby, but how much did you have to come to the fore in terms of, I hate to say it, but I'm going to say the, the, the phrase, toughen up? Because French teams of old, they could have hid behind the illness going to Wales on a Friday night, huge favourites. How much of it was actually, this is a change of guard in the French team for everything that you've just outlaid there with the illness and COVID and injuries to DuPont? Well, I, I can't comment on what's happened in the past, so... It's um, impossible for me to do that because I wasn't here. All I know is lads like Greg Aldrich, they tough. <laughs> you, you know, uh, Paul Williamson did 80 minutes. You know, and he's, he's, he's a big guy. He's, on, what is it? he's down to like one, two, eight kilograms now. Uh, to do it for full 80 minutes because Roman, he went down with uh, COVID. So, you know, he didn't have, we didn't have that power coming off the bench. So he had to go 80. So a lot of guys really dug deep, really, really did. And the big thing, just leading on from what Jim said, the players now, the French players, look like they love defending for you, for the team, for everything. And it looks like it's pretty hard to break down. Obviously, no tries conceded at the weekend against Wales. It's something that's really come on in that French game since you've taken over. Do you feel that connection with the boys from that front? I do feel a connection with them, yeah. And it's it's not just me. It's um, it's a team effort. Fabian contributes a lot. He kind of prepares um, you know, the offensive tactics outside the 22. I, I probably concentrate more inside the 22 in the pick and go, etc. And Raf, I think from his from his wash days, really, um, like he, he, you know, he gives um, uh, team talks to the players, and 75% of it seems to be about defence and uh, <laughs> about you know being part of a great defensive system of how you know invigorating it is. You know what I mean? And uh, the great feeling you get, you know, when you're dominating in defence. So. Um, I think I've convinced them sort of <laughs> to change the mindset. But uh, I, I remember, you know, Dave Ellis being here, you know, in the early 2000s. Yeah. You know, blokes like Dave Ellis and Clive Griffiths and Phil Lerder, these were the guys I was looking up to when I was coming into the, in, into the, um, into the game. They inspired me. So I think Fr- France certainly have, have had a good defence in the past and uh, hopefully that continues in the future. Yeah, I think we had you on, Sean, at the start of your French tenure. And again, this is just the rumour mill and people that you speak to or whatever, hearing rumours that the players potentially struggled with your tactics in terms of your delivery. Was that the case or not? Are they kind of warm to you in terms of your approach and how you do it? And obviously now, not just the team, but the world has seen the effect that it's had. Was it 24-0 against England at half-time? So... <laughs> And that was my first game, so... <laughs> Pourquoi? I don't, I, don't know, I don't know who said they, they struggled, struggled understanding my tactics, but I think the nil's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 I mean, they got a few couple of tries in second half, first play to England, because 
top team. They just come from the World Cup final, but yeah, was it twenty three nil at half time or something like that? So. Yeah, I love a start. I love a... We had Paul Willemser on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he spoke very fondly of you. But one thing we, we did ask him about because obviously he's such a big lad, and we talked about training. We heard a rumor that he he wasn't allowed to go full bore in training because he he just goes around banging boys for fun. I said, "There's no way Sean stops you, Paul, from smashing boys because he absolutely loves it." I think we're a better defensive team when Paul Paul is uh, on the pitch. He's um, he's a very very dominating character on on the pitch. I, I gave him the job. I asked him, "Did he want the job to be in charge of physicality on the advantage line?" Him and Roman Tafafanua, and uh, they both accepted the job. And I think they're doing a pretty good job so far in this campaign. I'm sure they bloody did. I mean, two absolute <laughs> monsters. I mean, it must be a delight to coach them. Well, I, I thought to myself, who, who's going to argue with them to you? Oh, mate, of course. It almost seems too easy, but we know it's not. Let's talk about England then. What do you make of England? We've been chatting on the podcast, having a bit of a joke around it, but they're clearly a team in transition if they lose... At the weekend to you, they could finish fifth again. And with the pool of players that they've got, you've obviously coached in England as well. You know a lot about the players. What do you think of England? I, I've got a lot of respect for the England players. I mean, you're playing against a team with a Toji and an Alex Genge. They're going to be an absolute force. And then you, you look at Simmons at the back at number eight. Wow, I mean, what an athlete. He's, he's almost like an NFL player, isn't he? A running back in the NFL. He's so powerful, strong. And, you know, you have great players, you know, captain like Courtney Laws, who's been the done it for many, many years. So I've got a huge amount of respect for them. They've got two young halfbacks who are very, very exciting to watch. I followed Smithy's career from when he found a sound, I think it was a four or five year deal with Harley Quinns a number of years ago. They put a lot of faith in him and he rewarded them with the championship last year, which is great for him. So I've, I've always followed his, his career. And players like Jack Knowles, I think I, I really, really rate him highly. We know we're in for a, for a real battle at weekend. I said with Atorja and Alec Genge, them two guys that are just world class. They were awesome at the weekend, weren't they? We were just chatting. I mean, Atorja especially was, just, as we know, was just so effective. Mate, he's, he's just world's best until let's be honest, hundred percent. Yeah, are the um, obviously Eddie Jones is going to start a few mind games. He's already mentioned the fact that they know how to beat France and all this stuff. I, I can't imagine you engaging too much in that, or Fabian engaging too much in Eddie's games that go on in the week? Not really. I mean, I think Eddie, Eddie likes doing that in the media and it's great for you media guys. So hopefully it sells the game a bit more. So, But for us, we're, we, we have probably a little bit uh, a less sort of in-your-face approach. I think Fabian said after the, the New Zealand game, um, you know, people asked whether we're going to win the Six Nations and he said it, the New Zealand win gives us hope. We, uh, we're going into the last game unbeaten with a very strong team, hopefully fit for selection as well. I want to ask you about Anton Dupont, purely off the back of how good he is, right? You know, he is the world's best player at the minute. You're coaching him. For a small guy, he packs the biggest punch, doesn't he? Like he's, we were chatting to Ben Youngs about him last week and how ridiculously strong he is. How good is he? He's, he's an amazing athlete. Amazing, amazing athlete. I've coached some fantastic nominees. Mike Phillips, so strong and big. Matt Dawson, Used to do judo. He was very, very strong and in, in the tackle area. And then you know Rob Early, and I've scored, I've scored so many really good number nines. Oh, in Reading, so quick between, between the breakdowns. But Antoine is probably the best athlete in that position I've ever coached. He was just so explosive and, and so strong, and so strong in the tackle. And his support play is um, is obviously superb because the pace he has. 
is uh, is undoubted. You know, I mean, he's he's electrically quick. Sean, you mentioned Fabian Galtier before and what he offers as a coach. You've had a lot of success as a defensive coach. Is it in your sort of pipeline at all to become a head coach down the track at any point? When I was head coach of Wasp and we won the Anakin Cup. Oh, mate, don't talk about that, mate. I played in that game. <laughs> this is the hardest trophy to win, I think, you know, except for the World Cup, probably. And it's still my favourite uh, victory. Sorry, mate. <laughs> I won, I won, uh, we won working with my old pal, Sarim McGeekin, as, as a director of rugby. And we also won English Premiership and Anglo-Welch when it was a major trophy. It was live on BBC and 50,000, 60,000 at Twickenham. So I was head coach for five years at Wasp. I left sort of when the money sort of was running out at Wasp and uh, Di, Di Young came in and um, and then I, I went full-time in international rugby since then. I have no problem stepping forward because I've done it before. I've won a Heineken Cup. and The next person to win it was an English guy with an English team was... The recent one, which was next to the Chiefs. Well, that puts you in the shop window then. Like, we're going to ask it, and you've got a huge game at the weekend, but the narrative around Eddie Jones after the World Cup is definitely going to be there. Whether or not he stays or not, it doesn't look like he is going to stay. Would you be up for something like the England job or not? I'm going to ask it. See what answer you give us. Would you Would you, Would you? you coach England? I'd like to have long-term employment. That, that's all I was going to say. <laughs> would you be up for it, Sean? It's long, long-term employment. and They ask me nicely. Who knows? We'll take that as a yes. The game this weekend, and obviously it's massive. And are you boys talking? Are the, are the players talking about a grand slam at all? The possibility of it, or has it always just been next game, next game, next game? Because yeah, Le Crunch, as they call it, is a massive fixture. And I don't know. I've got no idea what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I, 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 my understanding is improving a bit. I'm, a, I'm about about. 40% I can understand that of course we're talking about Grand Slams I put Grand Slam week up, up on the uh, review of the last game and uh, it's a time to be excited and uh, these are I think my exact words are these are the uh, these are the games that you live for mm. and Sean in French how do you say fucking smash them how do you say that in French? how do you get that across to the lads I just said uh, what you just said there <laughs> fucking smash them <laughs> and they understand me can you believe it <laughs> <laughs> Of course I can. All right, Sean, thank you so much for joining us, mate, and best of luck for the weekend. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Sean. Good luck at the weekend, mate. See you. There's England coach in three years' time. Come on, Sean. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Top lad. Top lad. Absolute legend. Mate, you'd run through a brick wall for him, wouldn't you? It doesn't matter. The language doesn't matter. The language does not matter. Fucking smush him in French. And you're doing it. I wonder what that is in France. I'm going to try and find out so I can let Sean know maybe just before the game. I can just send him a voice note and say what it is in French. Fucking the smash. Fucking placage. Bang him. Blue on white. Fucking placage. Yeah, what a great bloke. Though. I mean, as a coach and Andy Rowe, geez, didn't he shut you down pretty quick? He did. I cowered into a corner. Andy, I thought he was—I thought he was going to put you through a wall. That's what it felt like. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, do, you know, you a defence coach. Do you want to be head coach? Mate, I was fucking head coach at us when we won Arnicken Cup. I didn't know he was head coach. Sarah McGeekin was uh, director of rugby. He was head coach. We were massive favourites as well. Leicester were. 
we were going for the the treble, so we'd won the Prem the week before, we'd won the Anglo Welsh, and then it was the Heineken Champions Cup final, and um, they put us to bed. Did two lineouts where they took the front of the line out, funny line outs at the front that obviously practice. Sean Edwards is attacking mindset was taken. Julian White was at the front of the line out, literally just wanted to punch someone. I remember it. Yeah, he didn't mention me. I was involved in that. I was well, I was there. Were you on the bus with a bag of sick again or not? <laughs> that was the one. That was the yeah. game where Ben Young's just now it's all spiking. And do you know what I love about it? He's like and I said it before. Wales offered him a two-year contract to extend. France went in with, no, we want you for four years. We want you for the whole World Cup cycle. And he's just said it there. I like long-term employment. So England, you are listening. RFU, you are listening. Break the bank. Get fucking Sean Edwards. I'll fucking smash him. Good chap. Welcome back to you, back to that. Yeah, absolute legend. It's going to be an awesome game. Awesome game at the weekend. Can he wait, pal? Jim, what about Rome? Scotland. Just scraped past Italy. 33-22. Define scraped. Had to work hard for it. Not really. Scoreline <laughs> flattered Italy, I'd say. And again. Did it? Yeah, two late tries. Job done. Finn's already out, mate. He's already down the Irish bar in the shopping mall in Rome. On the pesh. Done. True. Tough game. It was. But Scotland were always going to win comfortably. We said that. I hoped that that would be the case. And to score five tries in Rome isn't bad to get a bonus point. It was good to see Italy actually scoring some tries, something that they've struggled with. But I think we won that game in third or fourth gear. And am I disappointed by it? Not really. The emotion in the lead-up to that game for the Italians and the new cup, the uh, Massimo Cotita, my former coach who died, the emotion around that for both teams, but for Italy, the fact that they were at home, they were playing for this cup... It was always pointing in the direction where it was going to be a tough game for Scotland because of the emotion, because of the history. Italy's last win in the Six Nations was against Scotland in 2015 at Murrayfield. Because of all them things, it pointed in the direction where it could happen for Italy. I didn't think it could, but the outside whispers were that. So there was a lot of pressure on Scotland. There's a lot of pressure on Finn Russell. There's a lot of pressure on Gregor Townsend going into this because we're expected to win, but there was a chance we might not have. But to score five tries shows really how comfortable it was. But I think we saw a snapshot of Italy. There were some good bits in attack. Their defence was good. Uh, Capuso, the young lad who looks about 12, scored a couple of tries on debut. So there was a few things to talk about in that game. Ali Price got man of the match. I thought it was great to see him back. I thought he was the right call to be man of the match. Played really well. Yeah, he did. He needed that as well. A bit of open space uh, as a scrum half. That's what got him on to the British and Irish Lions talk. So, I mean, forward pass for Hoggy's try, but yeah. I was a few forward passes this weekend. We can go back and look through that if we want to be that, Andrew. If we want to be them people that keep talking about forward pass, no, we don't. Let it go. But it might have been a forward pass. Uh, <laughs> it could have been very different. But look, it was one of them games that not a huge amount of people would have been interested in with everything at the weekend. But from a Scottish perspective, I was. And the question is after this, is what have we learned about Scotland? It's going to be hard in Dublin, almost an impossible task with the way that Ireland played. But we learn, again, we're much better than Italy. It's not impossible, Jim. Like, it probably is, but it, it's not 100% impossible. Imagine if Scotland beat Ireland this weekend. You'd be thinking you could win the World Cup again. <laughs> well, I've got a tattoo on my arm that says nothing is impossible. It's actually the name of Superman's book, Nothing is Impossible. But I can tell you, I ain't clipped my toenails in a year. It is impossible. Especially that little bugger that's got a bit of turf toe. So there is impossible. And it's no, it's not impossible. But did I see enough in that Italy game have I seen enough of Finn Russell being back to his best? We saw Ali Price get back to his best. 
have we got a big enough pack? You know, Johnny Gray, does he come back in? Did Rory Darge? And they're rhetorical questions because you, my point being is it with all respect to Italy, like we don't really know, do we? Darge playing at six with Hamish Watson at seven. Is that a back row balance that you'd have playing against Ireland? I don't want to sound like a complete idiot, but I just don't know what to make of us beating Italy and having France a couple of weeks before and getting smashed. I don't know how we go into the Ireland game as in all guns blazing. But as we know, Scotland, we're always good for one big one. We're always good for a big shock. Not that beating England was a shock. It weren't a shock to anyone because they've only beaten us once in five. But <laughs> we're good for a big one. England are talking about this game against France this weekend. Could be a statement victory. Scotland. What? Who's talking about that? Who? Well, that's what people are saying, saying, you know, it could be a statement win for England if they go there. Scotland could make a hell of a statement and go to Dublin and keep it under 50 points, actually, or beat Ireland. You just never know. And that, do you know what? Scotland haven't been too far away. That France game, apart from that, they were ridiculous France at times, weren't they? You know, they got a bit of the rub of the green and... You know, there's a couple of tries. Had Hoggy have caught the, the long ball, you know, just before half time, then France got the other end and score. Little moments like that, and they weren't too far away. They obviously beat England. They should have beaten Wales. You know, they're not too far away, Scotland, and it all depends. The feeling, it's kind of weird, isn't it? The feeling for a lot of teams is all going to depend on this last weekend. Look, we know Wales are going to hose Italy probably, but Scotland, if they have a hell of a performance in Ireland, you know, there's hope then, isn't there, over the summer and building towards bigger things for the rest of this year and next year. All right, so who's winning the Six Nations if Scotland beat Ireland, let's just pretend Ireland ain't going to get a bonus point, and France lose to England? Who's winning it? France still? Yeah, because they're still top by two points. Oh, what an anticlimax. <laughs> hey? It's like Titty Von Tramp on stage. It was meant to be so good. Well, we've chatted about the game, so let's check in now on how you're getting on in the Guinness Match Pint Predictor and get your predictions for round five as well. Goody, you're on top of the Legends League, and Jim, you're second to last with Ben Kaiser. Yeah, because I didn't do it on week three because I forgot. Mate, come on, Jim. The differences between me and Goody is I back my team. I back my team to the cowsheds and back. Andrew, the reason you're doing so well is because you've gone against your team. You're unloyal. So what you're saying, Jim, is that you will never beat Goody until Scotland win the Grand Slam. Some might say, but have you seen my flag for my match point predictor? It's basically a shield with just a grey slash across it. You've, you've not picked a team, James. You're not English. You're not Scottish. Pirate. <laughs> Pirate. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, James, it's kind of embarrassing. So in the Rugby Pod League... I am 234th in the Rugby Pod League. James Hamilton is all the way down in 1,836th. Well, if you want to join in at home, it isn't too late. All you need to do is download the Matchpoint app, join our league with the code RugbyPod, and then get your predictions in to win free pints and other great prizes as well. Well, it's your chance to make a comeback, Jim. Wales, Italy, what are you doing? For the comeback, I'm going to go Italy by two. <laughs> in Wales? Italy by two, James, you madman. Well, it is in Wales. Like, if it was in Rome, I would have gone Italy by four. But because it is in Wales and I need to win, I'm mixing it up a bit. And I've got a pirate flag. So, Italy by two. Italy by two. James, you're crazy. Wales by uh, 18. Oh, God. Oh, God. Right. <laughs> Ireland, Scotland. Scotland by four. When was the last time you won in Ireland? Well, guilty, but it was 2010. <laughs> Guilt. I knew that was coming. Croke Park, yeah? Croke Park, that was the one. And you went out to Crystal? Crystals. Crystals, but cool, cool, Crystal. You drank with Mumford and Sons? Well, they drank with me, but... Never heard that story. I mean, never heard. I'm going to go Ireland by 10. 
Ireland by 10. And then France v England. One winner, England. Really, Jim? Well, not for the match point pirate predictor, yeah. So England by one. <laughs> uh, I'd love to agree with you, but as Jim says, in this sort of segment, I go with my head, not my heart, and I think France love too much. I'm going to go France by six. All right, well, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, yeah, plenty of goo this weekend, and we're going to start off in one of our favourite places. It was the big game, wasn't it, in the URC gym? Ulster against Leinster. We went to Dublin, love Dublin. Then we went to Belfast, love Belfast, didn't know who to choose. But Ulster have done the double over Leinster, beating them 18 points to 13 at the Kingspan. It's the first time they've done the double over them since 2013. So uh, brilliant performance by them. And who got man in the match, Jim? Mike Lowry. I can't believe there's not more. Well, I can believe because obviously Ireland are good. But you look at the Ulster team compared to the Leinster team. Well, it just shows, doesn't it? They're all playing for Ireland and Ulster. Was it two or three players in the squad? There we go. The South African sides get a shout-out this week in the URC. The Sharks, the Bulls, the Lions and the Stormers all got wins against the Scarlets, Munster, Cardiff and Zebra. So, uh, good work from those boys. Chris Ashton will get a nod. He's coming to the live shows in Manchester and Liverpool, but he scored a try for Leicester Tigers, which is his now sixth Premiership club that he scored for and is closing in that record by Tom Vandell. So, um, great stuff by Ashy. Alex Waller gets a mention. He broke Duncan Bell's record for the most Premiership games as a prop this weekend. Our boy Freddie Burns going back to Leicester. He gets a mention as well. He won the Premiership Player of the Month award for February and then performed pretty well for the Tigers at the weekend at Flyoff. So well done to Freddie Burns. Italy under-20s, Jim. They absolutely smashed Scotland under-20s, 27 points to 13. So a massive victory for them. That adds to their victory over England earlier in the competition. What else was good? Ange Campuoso. I reckon I've said that pretty well in Italian, but not really. Campuso, the Italiano. That's how you should say it. Campuoso, Campuoso, however you say it. Two tries off the bench for Italy on his debut at the weekend. He looks like he still should be at school, probably playing for the under-15s, but fair play to him. Genuinely, on that note, Andrew, when he came on, I put my head in my hands and I was like, oh my gosh, as in... They say, don't judge a book by its cover. I mean, if we were looking at your cover and then the insides, my goodness me, it'd be like a horrible <laughs> porno mag. But with him, fair play to him. That's one way to do it. Yeah, definitely. So well done to Capuzzo. What else is good? Finley Beelham. His try was pretty good for him. But more importantly, he hadn't seen his parents in two years over the pandemic. And when they do come up, and see him play at Twickenham. He scores a try, so great for him to score a try in front of his folks at Twickenham. And you could see the celebration as well through the ball, slam the ball into the floor. So really pleased with Finley Beelham. Georgia get a mention in the goo this week. They've qualified for the World Cup, not because they won a game. Their game got cancelled, but uh, it made them qualify for the World Cup, James. But more importantly, the good this week goes to our very very good friends over in Espanol in Spain. The Spanish beat Portugal 33 points to 28 in the Rugby Europe Championship to qualify for the 2023 World Cup. They've got a deciding game, I think this weekend against Georgia to see if they can win the title, but they have qualified for the 2023 World Cup for the first time since 1999. Loads of media all over it in Spain. Uh, it's obviously a massive footballing country, but great to see the game spreading over there and them getting the qualifications. And basically, 
they've got Scotland in their group, so they're bound to win that game and definitely get a victory over the Scots. So um, massive congrats to all the Spanish. Remember Pablo Fijol at Leicester? And Ripple, was it as well? Oriel Ripple as well, yeah. Oriel, that was the one. Yeah, good guys. But I know Pablo Fijol is pretty high up in Spanish rugby over there, so a massive shout out to him and all the Spanish for qualifying for the 2023 World Cup over in France. Spaniard. Yeah, the bad, few bits of bad. We're going to start off with Wayne Barnes and Claire Hodnett. Uh, Claire was the TMO and Wayne Barnes was the referee for the game between Northampton and Wasps. Missed a couple of things. The Jacob Ubinger try that should never have been and also the knock-on at the end. So it evens itself out, but some big decisions missed there. Newcastle, going to get mentioned the bad again. They've lost their fifth straight home game. Bristol are going to get mentioned the bad this week for their defeat at home to Harlequins. A pretty heavy defeat as well. 38 points to 29. Not good stuff from them. They're definitely out of any playoff contention now and a pretty bad season for those boys. But the bad this week is going to go to all the empty seats at the Principality Stadium. Well, it's not the empty seats' fault, but the fans voted with their feet on Friday night. Obviously, the change to a kickoff time, but the fact that the tickets were valued at 120 quid a pop is just absolutely bonkers. Real rugby fans can't really afford that sometimes. So to see the Principality Stadium at its lowest capacity since it was built in 1999 for a Six Nations game wasn't a good luck. Pretty disappointing from the ticketing price point of view. So that gets the bad this week. Uh, and then the ugly, a few bits of ugly. Uh, we're going to start off, obviously, Charlie Yules' red card at Twickenham. He's just got to go lower. Absolutely ridiculous tackle. Tom Hendrickson, in the same breath, his red card for extra against Worcester was pretty bad. Curtis Rona, his hit on Jasper Visa uh, was very similar. So all these high shots, upright, just ridiculous, shoulder to the head. Uh, or head-to-head in terms of Charlie Ewells' case. Pretty crazy, so all very ugly. But the ugly this week has to go to an ex-teammate of mine, Bismarck Duplessis, who had a horrible spear tackle on Alex Ken Dellen for Munster. Ridiculous. Lifts him above his head. He's facing head down, just releases him, so he goes down head first. So uh, Bismarck Duplessis, uh, absolutely ridiculous. You get the ugly this week. Thanks, Scooty. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, I've got a couple of big shout-outs, actually. The first one is going to Kowloon and the Typhoons Rugby Club. I've been to both. We've been to both, Andrew. You might not remember it. But there are a couple of great social teams in Hong Kong. They've just had to cancel their season for the third consecutive year because of COVID restrictions. We've got to give a special mention to Robin Gribble, who's recovering from a broken neck as well that he suffered last year. Get well, big fella. And we'll, me and Andrew, will see you when we're back out there. I can't even wait to get back out to Hong Kong. Absolutely love that place. Uh, yeah, a huge congratulations to the boys at Old Cats RFC as well. Uh, they've managed to go 16 games unbeaten this season and they've won their league by 20 points. So a uh, massive shout out to you boys. Well done, lads. Enjoy a few responsibly and we'll hopefully see you at a live show soon. The Old Cats. No better coach than Joe Smith. Get him back over to coach you. Good one, this one, Andrew. It's a big shout out to McLean Sinclair Parry who's driving a van of medical supplies to Ukraine to help with the humanitarian effort out there. He'll be spending two weeks there doing aid runs. And if you'd like to donate, just go to justgiving.com and search for McLean Sinclair Parry. What an unbelievable feat. Imagine driving your van. Yeah, and actually another big shout out to Zebra Rugby Club as well, because they sent a, a bus from Italy down to Ukraine to try and rescue some of the friends and family members 
of Kiev Rugby Club and they had a, a bus come back that all the Kiev Rugby boys have stayed there to fight in the war but they've rescued about 50 friends and family of Kiev Rugby Club so uh, massive shout out to Zebra as well for doing that we need to do as much as we can to support Ukraine right now Thanks, Gertie. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, producer Tristan. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Espanol, it's a rugby spot, the spot. Spotted pod, 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 pod. pod.